Chris Gowser here with Matt Howell. On this episode of The First Run, I'm going to share about 35 minutes more of the Batman thoughts because, you know, that's I, I just want to drive Matt crazy. We're also going to discuss the uh, latest film featuring Ryan Reynolds on Netflix, The Adam Project. We'll discuss one of the Best Picture Oscar nominees this year with Belfast. And then we will continue our countdown to episode 600 with our 50 favorite films this time we're doing films 30 through 21 and of course don't worry we'll share what's coming up on physical media featuring your streaming and straight to dvd picks of the week really it's everything you need let's start everything off though with a clip from the adam project i want you to stay in a garage let some creepy dude just wander around my house alone yeah i don't think so yeah believe me i don't want to be here any more than you want me here I just gotta stop bleeding long enough. Address the wound, prevent a nasty infection, and I will be on my merry way. Don't touch that. I was just looking. Don't touch my stuff. Is this a lightsaber? No, it's not a lightsaber. Enough with the bat. All right, right? if I wanted to hurt you, I'd have done it already, because if I'm being perfectly honest with myself, you have a very punchable face. Oh, my God! That... Oh, that bullet went straight through. That's good. Pass wait, 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 wait. Bullet? You were shot? Yeah, no, actually. No. No. I was stabbed with a bullet. What do you think, you moron? I'm the moron. You're the one who was shot. Okay, that's it. <clears throat> that, wow, that, uh, that's weird. It farts when I cough. <laughs> gross. Super gross. I'm gonna go upstairs. I'm gonna grab some stuff. Stay cool. You can trust me. That's easy for you to say. I'm the one who ends up in a therapist's office telling them about where the bad man touched me. Oh, God, that's where you go? Immediately? You are dark, man. Who even are you? That is classified. Well, Matt, who even is he, though? So what is the Atom Project all about? I mean, is explaining the premise a spoiler right off the top? I guess not. So um, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds um, comes from a future 2050. He... Uh, steals a time ship in order to rectify a wrong from the past. And he runs into himself after he shows up at the wrong time period. And that is, uh, proceeds from there. Yeah. We had a little kitty, kitty, uh, Ryan Reynolds there who I got to give some props to our boy there. Um, what's his name again? Walker, Texas Ranger, Walker, Walker Scoble. <laughs> Who really kind of nails, you know, Reynolds' mannerisms, his dialogue, delivery type stuff. You know, I mean, he think he does a really good job with that. Yeah, he does. So th- this is the second team up between uh, director Sean Levy and Ryan Reynolds. The first one being Free Guy, a film I think meant that you and I pretty much uh, enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Free Guy was fun. It's a fun little uh, action film. And supposedly they are now in negotiations where Levy may take on and direct Deadpool 3. Oh, so their partnership will continue. So Matt, what are your thoughts on the Adam Project? Is it kind of is it nice to have this kind of fresh-ish sci-fi actioner type film? So we're not seeing like a sequel or a reboot of something again, or does it maybe borrow from some other franchises maybe a little bit too much? It comes off a little stale. I mean, I guess it's nice to get some original property, but this is. Um... I mean, this is kind of illustrative of the issue with that you run into. I mean, this thing screams a Netflix movie. We've watched this uh, with Hemsworth. We've watched this once before with Reynolds and Six Underground. Was that and Charlotte? Red Notice? Red Notice, yeah. yeah. What's the one I'm thinking of with the the Charlize Theron and the and the Immortals and yeah, we, we yeah, I can't remember the name of it. 
color guards, something like that. I can't remember, but I know exactly <laughs> I what think, you're talking I think about. Color guards is wrong, but I, yes, <laughs> it's in the same vein as all of those movies. Middlingly competent, not particularly exciting or groundbreaking, and the old guard. Yeah, that's it. The old guard. It's weird because these type of movies, you know, they have big stars. They have you know people that good give good performances, people that we like, and just somehow it just does not elevate the material. I mean, this has Ryan Reynolds and Zoe Saldana, and it has uh, Mark Ruffalo and Jennifer Garner. So, I mean, these are pretty decent actors for the most part, but I don't know. It just, it's all just kind of bland. So I, I just, I, I enjoyed it. I like seeing a air quotes, original concept though. I do think it's a little derivative. I think it's, owes a lot to stuff like Back to the Future and Guardians of the Galaxy, particularly with those needle drops, which unfortunately I think are not very successful at all. When that Zeppelin one hit, I was like, oh, oh God, is this what we're going to be dealing with for this whole film? But I think there's one thing the film does surprisingly well, and I think that it's its emotional core. I think the relationships and the the story of the family drama and the relationship between Reynolds' character and Zaldana's character, I thought all of that really kind of worked. It's a little overly sappy, I think, at times, but I think it does a good job with those family family slash relationship moments. And I think that emotional core holds the whole film together because I think if that didn't work as well as it does, I think the rest of it, like you say, just would have been too much. Mm-hmm. It would have been too snappy. It would have been too derivative. It would have been all this other stuff. But I think the the undergirding of it, the structure of it with that emotional core is strong enough to maintain, I think, a an enjoyable film. I think it's very simple. It's very straightforward, right? And it's an enjoyable experience. It's much better, and I think it's one of the few films on Netflix that Reynolds has been a part of that properly employs his charms. I think Red Notice is a disaster. Mm. I think Six Underground is not much better than that. I still contend that the song Six Underground is light years better than that film. But I think for this, I thought that it was just the, the right amount of Reynolds' smirk and charm. I think he did a good job of housing that. And I think maybe that's probably due to Levy. Uh, I'm not sure. I do think there was, there's four writers on this. I got a feeling there's more because some of the um, dialogue moments are not terribly good. I feel like this script was punched up at some point. Because there are times where it's just rock stupid. But again, I think the emotional core holds. What do you think about it? Do you agree with me on that? Or I, yeah, I don't know. So kind of Ryan Reynolds at his most Ryan Reynolds-ness is not something I have a lot of tolerance for. Like it was mm-hmm. kind of fun in Blade 3, but it's a shtick that's kind of wearing old for me. And I don't have a lot of tolerance for it. So I didn't find it as charming as... Yeah, I guess you did um, in this. I, I thought it, I don't know, it just really didn't work for me. I think the emotional beats, for the most part, do work. But I feel like there's so many of them. Um, there's like They don't really kind of like focus on one relationship. They're like really solidify a lot of these relationships. They kind of move from thing to thing to thing throughout it. Which I think is a bit to its detriment. I, honestly, I just think it's just an okay film. I really do. It's not bad. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I don't think it's bad. It's it's better than the other films that you mentioned, but it's still it's still not good. I also thought that the relationship between him and his younger self was pretty good. I thought it was pretty funny. I think the two of them had good chemistry. I think that repartee them going back and forth was pretty good. One thing I really struggle with, though, at some points, is the CGI. Mm. Particularly when we get a a younged down Catherine Kinnear. Mm-hmm. The initial introduction to that character is like wax museum terrifying. It seems to actually get better later in the film. But that first introduction of the young version of her, man, that is not good at yeah. all. Yeah. And also, too, the scenes at the cabin, they look entirely rendered. Entirely. Like, maybe they did a facade of the cabin, of the house, whatever it is. But the surrounding area, that's all green screen. I mean, it it looks blatantly obvious to you. Now, sometimes I wonder, I need to stop watching this stuff on my new OLED TV. Mm -hmm. So everything stands out as being a little more fake. Right. But I don't know. So there are some CGI issues. Some of it works. I think the air quotes lightsaber stuff is pretty neat. Yeah. I think how they dispatch with the bad guys is an interesting concept. Yeah. It's derivative. It owes stuff to other films. But I I enjoyed it enough, Matt. I'm going to give The Adam Project a B-. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it a C. I don't think it's anything that's gonna that I'm going to revisit. And I think there's much better options out there for your, your precious, precious time. Oh, I agree. But I also think, too, this might be something that's approaching, you know, if you have a kid, you want to watch something fun together. This could be that. Right. You know, um, not quite teens into the early mid-teens. I think that'd be a, a nice little family movie night for sure. Sure. Uh, a couple interesting things about this. Did you know this was originally supposed to be made back in 2012 featuring Tom Cruise in the Ryan Reynolds role? Oh, was it? And it just kind of fell apart. <laughs> okay. And then I was doing some research on this, which I think this kills me that this didn't happen. Because I think this would have been perfect. That Ryan Reynolds should have been Peter Quill instead of Chris Pratt. You think so? I think that would have been great. I think Reynolds would have done a great job as Quill. No? You don't agree with that? I mean, I think maybe. I think I, I you know, despite things with Chris Pratt um, that have come out as of late, I enjoyed Andy Dwyer, and I I think he's pretty good as Peter Quill. I honestly don't. I feel like I think that, like, uh, uh, Chris Pratt brings a kind of like a dumb goofiness to it whereas i think ryan reynolds would be too snarky slash like um giving off smartest guy in the room vibes i don't know if he can mm-hmm. really pull that off i think he, he's a much better deadpool i think he works there i don't i don't think he would work very well as peter quill fair i i get that but i just and i think i don't know i just i just i, I think it's, if you listen to the show in regularity you know that i'm a pretty big fan of ryan reynolds so <laughs> his shtick has not hit bothered me as much i guess as it has matt though i will say i do I do. I I have struggle. I struggle with it with Red Notice and Six Underground. It is a bit much. So I, I wonder sometimes if he just has like a writer's room. Yeah. Like there's a Ryan Reynolds lab that just cranks out these one-liners and jabs, and he kind of practices these looks in front of the mirror. Sometimes right. I I don't know. Well, I mean, have you gone back and watched some of his earlier work? Like I caught like Waiting the other day, and mm-hmm. like Van Wilder, and I'm like, oof. God, like this is just like he's just you know this pretty guy who makes the same faces, has the same delivery on everything. It's just, it's just like wow, this is this is a guy we fell in love with. Well, yeah, he does kind of play the same character. He's like a yeah, he's he Al Pacino'd I think his entire <laughs> career, right? But I I still think he's really great in that um, romantic comedy movie that I think is criminally underseen. What is the name of that damn thing? Definitely, maybe. Definitely. I don't. Hmm. Are you talking about the proposal? 
The one no, with no. Uh, Sandra Bullock? No, no, I'm talking about Definitely Maybe. This the one with uh, Abigail Bresling where he plays the dad and he's telling the story about how he met his mom. Okay. And he's, oh, there's like three different women, Rachel Weisz, Isla Fisher, and Elizabeth Banks. And it's kind of like almost like a mystery to figure out which one is her mom. Interesting. It's okay. very, very sweet and funny. I, I've always really enjoyed Definitely Maybe. So I think that's where I truly began to appreciate Reynolds uh, was that film. That's when he crossed the Tatum line for you? Yeah, basically, he crossed Tatum line with Definitely Maybe, absolutely. So if you've got a chance to see The Adam Project, which is currently streaming on Netflix, go ahead and shoot us an email. I'd love to hear your thoughts at uh, feedback at thefirstrun.com. Coming up in physical media, Matt, this upcoming Tuesday, March 22nd. Well, one of my favorite films of the year, but I'm not going to play a clip from that because supposedly there is a 4K restoration of one particular film that is supposed to be relevatory. What have I ever done to make you treat me so disrespectfully? If you'd come to me in friendship, then the scum that ruined your daughter would be suffering this very day. And if by chance an honest man like yourself should make enemies, then he would become my enemies. And then they would fear you. Be my friend. Godfather. Good. Someday, and that day may never come, I'll call upon you to do a service for me. But uh, until that day, accept this justice as a gift on my daughter's wedding day. So, of course, that is a clip from The Freshman featuring Ron Brando and Matthew Broderick. (laughs) Now, the Godfather trilogy is getting a 4K release, Matt. There is a limited 50th anniversary edition, which includes some nice kind of artsy screen prints and a coffee table book. That's going to run you about 167 or like 120, 130. And then there is a standard set that's around $90, which I think right now is on Amazon for about 80 So, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you, uh, did you have any interest in catching up with that uh, recut of Godfather 3 that supposedly want- makes it a lot better? I want to. Yes, okay. I do want to watch that. Maybe we can check that out for the show if you want. It's funny because I'm actually re-watching the films right now. I'm, I just cleared the intermission mark of uh, part two last okay. night. Okay. And I, cause I do have the old Blu-ray, so I was trying to think if I wanted to upgrade to the 4Ks. Because supposedly the Godfather 4K disc is insane. Like It's supposed to look just gorgeous. Yeah. So I've been going back and forth on picking this up. One thing, too, to note that the uh, newly remastered and restored versions of the theatrical and Coppola's 91 cut of The Godfather Part 3 are exclusive to this collection. So if you want, I guess, I guess Part 3 is only going to be in 4k in this set i'm not quite sure if that sentence is worded right i mean that's crazy to me that they wouldn't break out part three in some capacity in 4k at some point i don't know if maybe the theatrical cut is exclusive to the set or the um the new cut is exclusive to the set i'm not sure you know what it might be it might be the 91 cut because it's not the new the new one actually is just from a year ago right yeah it is so maybe that maybe it's the 91 version that he did is exclusive to the set either way Godfather Trilogy, 
in 4K, includes an introduction by Francis Ford Coppola, uh, a couple new featurettes for the first time, restoration comparisons, Godfather home movies. It's a sort of 8mm home movie footage shot during the filming of the first film. Interview with the uh, photographer Stephen Shapiro and um, some Paramount archival stuff. And then all the legacy stuff is included as well. So you don't have to worry about losing anything there. The other big release, Matt, I think would be uh, Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley is getting its release. There's a uh, steelbook from Best Buy. Includes a Dolby Atmos audio track. No mention, though, of a Dolby Vision or HDR10 release. And it does not include the uh, black and white, if you will, noir cut that del toro did Mm. so i'm telling you right now don't buy this there's going to be a special edition at some point perhaps even a criterion release i don't know but he made the black and white version the only thing i'm nervous about is that they'll make that an hbo max exclusive Mm. gotcha like they did like justice league there's no digital copy on that 4k disc because they only want to stream it via hbo max so that could be the issue but i i don't know it just doesn't seem like i think it's too niche that eventually it will maybe come out in some special edition. So I'm going to hold off by a Nightmare Alley. Wow. I I commend your uncharacteristics restraint. Thanks. <laughs> For the Love of Money is uh, being released, featuring Cat Williams and Carrie Hilson. Shout Factory is releasing A Tale of Two Guns. is a Western featuring Tom Berenger, Casper Van Dien, Jeff Fahey, Judd Nelson, and Danny Trejo. Well Go USA is releasing the horror film 645. Matt, what if one of the best days of your life suddenly turns into your very worst nightmare? And what if you were forced to relive that same day again and again? That's like a, a Freaky Friday thing, I think. If Matt and I switched lives, then you would probably <laughs> feel that way. Uh, Dr. Death, which is a TV miniseries featuring Joshua Jackson, Grace Goomer, Christian Slater, and Alec Baldwin. As patients entering the operating room of Dr. Christopher Dunch's for routine spinal surgery start leaving permanently maimed or dead, two fellow surgeons and a young DA set out to stop him. Dexter the New Blood is being released on physical media. There's a steelbook version of that. I think I watched the first two seasons of Dexter. Yeah. And that kind of never really grabbed me. Were you a Dexter guy at all? Yeah, I watched the, I think I watched the same, the first two seasons. I thought they were pretty good. Apparently it gets really good when John Lithgow shows up and then it falls off a cliff. So maybe I should revisit some of the, at least where it gets really good, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. So I assume then you haven't watched the uh, revitalization there in Showtime. I haven't. New to Blu-ray, Criterion is releasing Flight of the Phoenix. This is the Jimmy Stewart film where he's a pilot whose plane crashes in the Sahara. And it's up to him to kind of figure out a way to get out of there by building a plane with the wreckage that he has. 2K restoration of the film, a new conversation between the filmmaker Walter Hill and film scholar Elaine Silver. New interviews and more. We talked about The Godfather. There is a Disney Movie Club exclusive 85th anniversary edition release of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. So if you're a member of the Disney Movie Club. You can pick that up. Arrow is releasing Come Drink With Me and Cold Light of Day in standard editions, previously only available in Deluxe. Warner Archive is releasing Captain of the Clouds. It's a brand new 4K restoration of that. Includes uh, some Bugs Bunny shorts, a vintage 1942 color short called Rocky Mountain Big Game, and a newsreel from 1942. That might be kind of fun to check out. Kino Lorber is releasing a bunch of stuff. Backstreet from 1941. Now and Forever from 1934, featuring Gary Cooper, Carol Lombard, and Shirley Temple. Blue Skies from 1946, featuring Bing Crosby, Fred Astaire, and Joan Caulfield. Media Blasters is releasing Rise of the Machine Girls. I think, Matt, we did Machine Girl for our uh, Body Horror Marathon Mm -hmm. last year. Mm -hmm. So I think this may be a sequel. MVD Visual is releasing Brian Loves You. 
In the early 90s, a 32-year-old psychotherapist begins to suspect that his small Arizona community has been taken over by a homicidal religious cult known as the Bryans. There's a brand new audio commentary on that and a bunch of new interviews. Indicator slash Powerhouse is releasing A Time for Dying. This is the Bud Butcher film. Uh, one of his westerns is a 2K restoration of that. Mad Dog Morgan being released as well from Indicator Powerhouse. And uh, what else we got? La La Rona, the uh, classic horror film. Not the original one. This is from 1933. Uh, Ramon Peon's film. He gets a brand new restoration from the only surviving film element. And then his follow-up to that, The Phantom of the Monastery from 34, gets a brand new 4K restoration. Shot Select is releasing The Core. This is the Hilary Swank, Aaron Eckhart, Stanley Tucci film. There was this one. What was the other one? There were two kind of core movies at the time, right? Why am I blanking on the other one? I don't remember the other one either. I forget. I think there was. Maybe I'm making that up. 88 Films releases a couple uh, more martial arts films. Shallow Mantis with uh, new audio commentaries and interviews. And then Monkey Kung Fu gets a remastered, fully uncut version. Mill Creek is releasing Magnum P.I. The Complete Series on Blu-ray. If you are a Hunger Games fan, there is a steelbook collection of all four films in UHD coming from Best Buy. And then one of my favorite Cronenberg films, later day Cronenberg, uh, Eastern Promises, gets its 4K release. Your straight-to-DVD pick of the week, Matt. I'm going to go with The Good Exorcist from our good friends at Troma. <laughs> After a ranch in Texas has befallen to a mysterious demonic presence, it's up to an eccentric wandering priest to find answers and dispel the darkness. As he digs deeper, he soon finds that he may be in over his head and out of time. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? Um, so I'm going to recommend a film that... Um... I don't think we thought it was the best version of what this director can put out there, but I want to kind of, we're starting to get a, a glut of newer films, so I want people to go out and check them out and be aware that they're there. So um, the latest um, from Wes Anderson, uh, The French Dispatch, is available on HBO Max. Uh, we do, I think we agreed it wasn't top tier Anderson, but it has its yeah. moments. But I think it's worth a watch if it's kind of, if you haven't seen it and you're looking for something relatively recent to check out. Yeah, and I think it's worth watching just for Jeffrey Wright's segment alone. Mm. That's one of my best performances, my favorite performances of the year. So, good pick, Matt. All right, let's keep rolling then and spend a few minutes and talk about Kenneth Branagh's latest film, Belfast. These boys are suffering. I don't think we've got till Easter. I don't think you and me have got till Easter either. Come home. We'll fight this together. Kids the same age as ours are getting killed around the corner. We'll, we'll be careful. You can't be with them 24 hours a day. You can't take away their childhood either. sweet it's very very sweet man it's belfast kenneth Branagh's latest film up for a bunch of academy awards matt uh it features basically a uh, young family they're working class protestants in a fairly catholic neighborhood and takes place during the 69 riots in belfast where basically the protestants were trying to run the catholics out of belfast 
and they are struggling to pay their bills. And it's just one of those kind of family dramas, Matt. And I think there are some interesting things about Belfast, but it also feels at times to be a little Oscar baity for me. What are your thoughts on this true-to-life drama where Brana pulls on stuff from his own past? Yeah, I don't, so I, I'll be the first to admit, I don't know that much about the Troubles. I remember when I was growing up in the 80s, it was kind of this thing that was referenced. And I think, you know, the IRA and really what I knew from them was like Sean Bean and Patriot Games. You know, that was basically it. Um, so uh, I didn't really know that much about it. And it was kind of over, really, right, by the time I started getting old enough to really kind of grasp it. Um, or at least it had died down to such an extent that it, it was essentially over. So I think it was interesting to kind of see these this family drama with these kind of events, these historical events that are just kicking off and kind of going around it. And it's like, I like how they portrayed it where it was kind of like this wall and they were kind of setting it up to keep it on the outside, but it kept trying to penetrate in. And I mm. thought that was an interesting way to do it. I think you get enough of what's going on to kind of... Um, bring it all together. I think it is a little Oscar baity, but you know, as far as Oscar bait films go, I quite enjoyed it. That's great. Uh, there are a few things in here. I think are really interesting that I think Brana does some of his most, I don't know, experimental work. Mm. He shoots the film mostly in black and white. There are touches of color for certain moments, but when we're in Belfast, when we're kind of in the heat for lack of a better term of everything, it's always in black and white. And within the outside world kind of is able to get in there, right? That's kind of when the color shows up. Um, but I tell you, sometimes it's brilliantly composed shot selections, I think, by Brana in this film. A bunch of them just look stunning. They're at least always very interesting. And I was just kind of impressed. He does some, too, some really interesting things with just, just where he sets his camera. I just stuff I hadn't seen from him before. So I appreciate that he got a little, you know, a little loose with things and tried to experiment a bit. I, I was rather impressed with that. I didn't know he had this in him, really. I, I really didn't after seeing some of his films over the years. So and I was really impressed by all of that. Also, too, I really like this. It was this odd 80s sax synth score to Matt. I don't know if you noticed that. It was just, it, it somehow I thought it would be out of place once I first heard it, but it seems to work entirely. Mm-hmm. I think it hits the heartstrings very well. It, it, maybe it feels a little manipulative at times, a little contrived. But for the most part, I think it has its moments in a weird way, kind of the same way I liked about Adam Project. I think that it's moments of drama and love. There's some twists and laughs with a 97-minute runtime. I mean, I think that that all works for me. I don't know. I think what would have been kind of standard fare is elevated by Brana's more artistic touches with the camera. Mm. It saves it from being kind of a retread kind of picture of a slice of life during a, a, a chaotic time into something much more watchable and enjoyable for me. I, I really couldn't get over some of the shot selections, how the angles, like the opening scene when Dornan's character confronts the other, the old, his old kid from the neighbor that he grew up with who wants him basically to join the gang with him mm-hmm. to kind of help drive the Catholics out. How he keeps the camera low from Dorman to kind of give him some menace and size and stuff like that. And then there's also this beautiful framing shot of Judy Dench through the window mm-hmm. a, a bunch of times. There's a lot of just interesting uses of some use of smoke and panning. And I just, I don't I just 
was really impressed by the camera work um, with this. Maybe I should be more praising Harris Zambalakis than I should be Brana <laughs> as a cinematographer. But still, I don't know. There was enough here for me to enjoy. It's one of those things, Matt, where I feel like it's it's got a good shot at Best Picture because it it hits all of those buttons right. for the Oscars. Right. You know, it's but I it's it's good enough. I en- mostly enjoyed it. Very heavy uh, use of uh, Van Morrison in this as well, who is a Belfast native. I mostly enjoyed it, Matt. I decided to give Belfast a B minus again. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's surprising. Yeah, I think I liked it better than Chris did. I don't think necessarily it deserves to win Best Picture, but no. I I would be disappointed if it did. I think it's a relatively slight film that has some really strong performances that really hit you in a certain couple of spots. Like I loved the grandparents, you know, with uh, Judy Dench and um, draw. I should know this dude's name, but I'm drawing a complete. Sarah Hines. Yeah. Sarah Hines. Thank you. I just thought they were great. It just, um, I think the weakest part of it is the kids, but that's Kieran. I'm sorry. It's Kieran, by the way. Oh, Kieran. That's how it's pronounced. Yeah. I think the, the, the kids can be a little weak, but that's the the danger of child actors. But Mm -hmm. I think overall, I think it's pretty successful. I think I'm going to give it, I'm right on the edge, but I think I'm going to give it a B. I think, uh, it's, I think it's close to B plus territory. It's pretty high. It's like a, it's like an 86, but it's, it's, (laughs) Not quite there, I don't think. I just, I don't know. The, the stuff with the grandparents, it all just seems so manufactured and manipulative to me. That's why I'm sitting at a B minus. I think it mostly works. The artsy touches elevate everything for right. me. But I felt so manipulated so many times know. watching this thing. I mean, it seems like, you know, I think it's just like this nice, caring grandparent uh, couple. And I appreciated that. But I think it's funny that we're talking about this is the family dynamic that you have more of a problem with versus the the Adam project, which you thought was quite well done for yeah. the family dynamic, <laughs> which That's I think true. is incorrect. <laughs> I think at one point, too, Brana actually had a small cameo role in this thing and he cut it out. Okay, well, Thankfully, yeah, I think smart. that would have been a little bit too much there. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, okay, fine. Belfast is available to rent on all your digital platforms right now. I don't know what its streaming home is. To be honest with you, Matt. So I don't, I don't know, think it has one at this post. point. I don't think it has one. Has it's Universal. Point. I don't know who Universal's deal is. is yeah. the, are they with? Um, I don't know who they've done a deal with. So probably end up on Prime or something. Yeah. If you had a chance to see Belfast, just an email at feedback at thefirsttoron.com. I did enjoy that eighty sax synth score. I don't know where that came from, <laughs> but uh, I did rather enjoy that. So good times. All right, Matt. Let's keep rolling on our top fifty films i this is coming fast now and we are i'm gonna be honest with you Matt. we are getting real close to just lazy cliched (laughs) picks from me so don't folks don't expect some grand stuff from me all right you're gonna be rolling your eyes rather rather soon yeah i'm not i mean to be to be fair i'm not much better but it's definitely more in a different wheelhouse of great films that i think chris will pick yeah so you've basically all of my uh, unusual or different things. I think you've heard. Okay. And <laughs> now it's gonna. This is I'm really selling it to get people to continue listening to the show. <laughs> Me just listing off a bunch of my favorite films, like from the '80s, basically, is where we're gonna be going next. Gotcha. So uh, here's one though that didn't quite uh, make the cut, but it is something I adore. For such a smart person, you really are lost, aren't you? 
This conversation is over. I'm not the guy that you kill. I'm the guy that you buy. Are you so fucking blind you don't even see what I am? I'm the easiest part of your whole goddamn problem and you're gonna kill me? Don't you know who I am? I'm a fixer. I'm a bag man. I do everything from shoplifting housewives to bent congressmen and you're gonna kill me? What do you need? Karen, lay it on me. You want a carry permit? You want a heads up on an insider trading subpoena? I sold out Arthur for 80 grand and a three-year contract and you're gonna kill me? What do you want? What do I want? I want more. I want out. And with this, I want everything. Is there a number? 10 is a number. 10? 10 what? 10 million? Where do you think, where do you think I'm gonna get 10 million dollars? You know what's great about this? Did you read it all the way to the end? You see who signed it? Let's go into that ballroom and ask Don Jeffries if he wants to pass the hat for a worthy cause. This would have to be a longer conversation mm-hmm. and, it, and would have to take place somewhere else. Where? My car? Oh, that is rough. <laughs> that, of course, is uh, George Clooney and Tilda Swinton. And the excellence, Michael Clayton, which I think is back on HBO Max right now. If you have not seen it, it's just classic kind of adult uh, thriller. Great, great stuff. So, uh, Matt, I want you to start us off. What is your 30th favorite film of all time? All right, my 30th um, was further down on Chris's list, and I was a little surprised as much as he loves this director. But it's going to be, I think, uh, arguably the, one of the first slasher films with Psycho. It is honestly, I think, my favorite Hitchcock film. As much as all the other ones are just great pieces of cinema, I think this is the one that I think is just, it grabs you from frame one and just does not let go. And it is just... Uh, just a, a fascinating series of shots and just stuff that's just still so creepy as you watch it, especially like Anthony Perkins, like looking through the the peephole while, you know, Janet Lee is getting undressed and just it's everything about it is just so good. That is, uh, yeah, no, I can't really argue with that. Right. So good pick my 30. All right. So we're going to be really starting to pepper stuff in here, Matt, with just nostalgia. Okay. So and this may sound a little weird to some people, but it, it's it's true. So my number 30 is The Living Daylights, the uh, Timothy Dalton, James Bond film. Okay. It is the first Bond film I ever saw in the theater. And I have this just weird affection for this film. It's one of those, I, again, I watch it once, at least once a year. And I think it's just, it's a great introduction for Dalton as Bond. It has a, it's a lot of fun. It's a little cheesy. I think it's a nice balance, though, of the um, of the fun kind of Moorish stuff, but a little more serious take because Dalton really wanted to get back to the uh, book character of Bond. So um, I popped in uh, the uh, Living Daylights. Here is my thirty. Surprising. See, that's a, that's a surprising pick. I don't feel like that's a lazy pick. Oh, I appreciate that. Okay, yeah, that works. All right. All right, so my number 30, or I'm sorry, my number 29 is uh, a film that I watched for the first time last year for this show. And when we were talking about it, we were talking about how great it was, but how absolutely just crushing it was to watch. And we didn't know if we'd ever watch it again. And I have watched it since. And I think there's just something about it that makes it hold up for me. And that's Grave of the Fireflies, the story about two Mm. um, orphans who are trying to survive in World War II Japan um, with 
some of the saddest shit you'll ever see. But there's something about this kind of something about animation that kind of brings it home to where, you know, you have these kind of highs of magical wonder and then just kind of all brings it all back together. I think is a lot, is just something that live action can't always pull off. And I think it's just a crushing, heartbreaking, yet at the same time, hopeful film. Wow. So you rewatched it, huh? I did. Yeah. That's impressive. I, no, I don't know if I'll be watching that again. <laughs> All right. Well, here we go, Matt. I warned you. All right, and now we're going to dive into it. My 29 then is James Cameron's Aliens, the sequel to Alien. That's bullshit. It's too low. <laughs> <laughs> One of the finest, most entertaining uh, sci-fi action films ever made. Mm-hmm. A film I've watched dozens of times in my life. And um, I think we, we talked about this on your screen run episode that even though we think the theatrical cut is better, yeah. whenever we watch it, we watch the director's cut. And I I, I'm not sure why that is. Yeah. But yeah, just it's just an absolute lot of fun. I'm going to stop there because I know it's going to be much higher on Matt's list. So. It is. It is. See, it's one of those films. I, I don't know if Chris is ever guilty of saying this, but I will say... It is a perfect film, so of course it has to be higher on the list. Because if it's perfect, <laughs> it has to be higher. Um, mm. All right, so my number 28, then, is a film that still scares the shit out of me. And I don't believe in any of this stuff, but at the same time, millions of people do. So there's like this little twinge of what if that's there for the rest of them. Um, it's Blatty's The Exorcist. It still freaks me the hell out. I don't know why... Like when you're watching it, it's not scary, but suddenly it's dark and you're slaying in bed and it's like, man, you know, Satan could be underneath my bed. So like, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a scary friggin' thing, man. And it's so, uh, well done. I think not the last horror film on my list, um, but I think one of the only, uh, horror films to be given even Oscar consideration. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, I guess so. So um, this is probably going to uh, upset a few people again because it's so low uh, on my list, but that's fine. It's it's my list. Get off my back. My number twenty eight then is, and I'm in the midst of rewatching it right now. Francis Ford Coppola's uh, The Godfather Part Two. Really? Um, when, that low? Yep. Yeah. Wow. Godfather didn't quite make my list because I still I it's so dreadful that time when Michael's in Italy for like mm. a half an hour, but <laughs> <laughs> still. Part two, yeah, so this is when we bring in De Niro and we get a young Vito Corleone. We see how he came to rise to power, all the family dynamics, the invasion, or the uh, the coup in Havana. There's lots of inter- intertwining stories that we flash you know, back and forth. That crushing moment when we find out what happened to um, Kay's child with Michael and his reaction. Yeah. Just watching Pacino in that film when he looks at Fredo. You know, just watching him, suspecting him, and uh, this, then the 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 seething rage underneath him when he's talking to Kay as well. It's just watching Pacino from the God. Did you read that article in the New York Times that they did the interview with uh, Pacino on the 50th anniversary of The Godfather? No, I didn't. It's really interesting that Coppola wanted uh, Pacino from the beginning, and the studio was like, no, yeah. they didn't want. They didn't want. They also didn't want um, Brando. Okay. And they didn't want James Caan. Okay. Can you imagine that film if none wow. of those people were in it? That's crazy. But if you haven't read it yet, read it. It's a really interesting article. Just watching his progression as Michael and how like the first half of the film, he's really not in it. He's a side character, right? And then as everything shifts and changes and then just the powerhouse performance that he delivers in part two as well. 
So uh, Godfather Two, that's my number twenty-eight. It's it's just crazy to me to watch Pacino in those two Godfather films, like kind of understated performance he gives yeah. to what he became. Like it's just it's <laughs> like I don't understand how they're the same person. Yeah. Um. All right. So my next film, I forget what number we're on, is a... Uh, 26? 27. 27. 27. Uh, my 27, then, is uh, the film that really kicked off my love affair with Westerns. Um, Clint Eastwood is a bad motherfucker in this, and that is A Fistful of Dollars. When he's walking past The Undertaker, and he says to get three coffins ready, I was sold. From, mm-hmm. like, just from, <laughs> from like, the first five minutes of this, uh, of this, this film. And he's just... The archetypal squinty badass who says very little. Um, the man with no name who has a name is is a fistful of dollars. I mean, and granted, a lot of people will say good, the bad, and the ugly, um, which, yes, but there's something that's just lean and fun about a fistful of dollars that I had to put it on the list. Absolutely. No, that, that is a great one. I still prefer the second one out of the three of them, I For think. For a few dollars more is really good, too. Yeah. I th- also find, always find it funny too that it's the man with no name trilogy. He has a name in every single film. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but it's Joe. different in each one too. Yeah, Joe is Manco one of them. in one, yeah. Joe in another, and then I'm yeah. blanking on the other. Good times. All right, my number twenty-seven, Matt. Then possibly the pinnacle of science fiction satire, at least from the '80s. A disturbingly violent film that I watched as a kid. And gave me nightmares, but I became obsessed with ever since. When I got my hands, Matt, on that Criterion DVD that had the unrated or rated X cut of the film, which was not available in any other physical media at that point, of course I'm talking about Robocop. Oh, An yeah. insane film, <laughs> super violent. When that guy melts by the toxic waste stuff, that scene freaked me out. And he gets hit by the car and his head rolls over the car. Ugh. Brilliant, hilarious, ultra-violent, turns a superhero film on its head. Just an incredible film about kind of the 80s, excess, everything. It's brilliant. So RoboCop's my 27. Yeah, man. I didn't mention this when I talked about RoboCop, but the first time I saw that was at a sleepover where somebody's older brother had brought that over. And man, that was a revelation. It was a revelation (laughs) to my 10-year-old Shouldn't be watching this brain. Um, my number, my number twenty six then is uh, Ridley Scott's uh, one of Ridley Scott's science fiction masterpieces in Blade Runner. Um, a such a a powerful depiction of a dystopian future based off of a Philip K. Dick story that it just becomes cliche at this point. But even watching it now, it is it still holds up. And like even yeah. what what uh, special effects there are, they don't seem hokey at all. And it seems unfortunately very possibly real with uh maybe one of the best ad-libbed uh lines and or speeches at the end by rutger hauer in science fiction that still blows my mind that he just did that on the spot like yeah that. that's crazy nuts all right so my 26 then and let's reset folks again this is our favorite right. these are not what we think are the best films right these are just our favorite so emotion and stuff gets brought into this that's why living daylights is so high on my list mm-hmm. I have an affection for that film. I have an affection for this film. One of the now, I didn't see this film first, Matt. I saw this director's second film first, and it blew me away. So I went out and rented this VHS at Carl's Video Box in Meriden, <laughs> and I again my jaw hit the floor. 
I am, of course, talking about Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. Mm. Much higher on your list. Mm. But the introduction to QT, to the world, not to me, Pulp Fiction was my introduction. Yeah. But uh, an insane cast, fantastic dialogue. That opening with discussing a, of Like a Virgin and the meaning of Madonna's yeah. song. Yeah. Uh, Steve Buscemi, who is absolutely probably my favorite performance in the entire film, is probably by Buscemi. Uh, but great stuff all around. Just, you know, it's, it's these gangsters. They rob the jewelry store and everything goes horribly, horribly wrong. They figure out they have a rat, but who is that rat? And they have to, we all have to figure out who it is. And we get the reveal about what halfway through, right? Yeah, who it right. is. But still great stuff. Reservoir Dogs 26. Yeah. I didn't make my list at all. Crazy, oh, it right? wasn't. I thought it was high in your no, list. Maybe you mentioned it. No. Yeah. It was, uh, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. We will yeah. come back to several other QT films, but it's not on the list at all. Yeah. All right. So my number 25 is then um, the film that kind of introduced me to a pair of my favorite directors or my favorite filmmaking team. Um, it's Fargo. It was mm-hmm. a film that came out, I think, when I was in high school. And they had had films before then, but this was all really, really pre-internet. So like it was hard to kind of get a hold of everything that you wanted to see. And it just kind of blew the doors wide open. It's darkly funny. Um, it is nasty in its own way. And I think the just, you know, blowing open uh, Midwestern Minnesota culture for what it is, is, is just fantastic. <laughs> it is just this bleak piece of Americana that I think is just um, infinitely rewatchable. I, I, there's something about Fargo that I can just watch over and over again. I have been going back and forth on doing a whole Coen Brothers rewatch. I would like going to do that. for the whole catalog. Yeah. Although... Somebody may have suggested that for for screen run, so maybe yes. the, you'll have to pocket that for for maybe a future season, possibly. Yeah. So uh, my number twenty five that I'm keeping with a theme, and that's Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. Mm. I saw this at the theater. I think it was actually I saw it. I think at the Berlin Twin, which was a which a like a dollar theater. They were second run, so it would play at the uh, theater, the big theater, the showcase, and then you know after a month or whatever, it pop over at the Berlin Twin. You could see it for a couple bucks. And, uh, I, again, it just, it changed how I viewed cinema. There's been a, a few times in my life where that's happened and Pulp Fiction was one of those other one is coming up and particularly one in my top 10, a couple of my top 10, I've changed how I viewed movies and Pulp Fiction was one of them. So, uh, and a lasting impact on me, uh, a Tarantino film for life. So, um, yeah, Pulp Fiction is 25. All right. My number 24, then, is, um, I think, do I have any other Marty on this? I don't know. Maybe I don't. But it's Goodfellas. Um, the mm-hmm. opening the opening of Goodfellas sucks you in, and no matter how many times you've seen it, um, it will continue to suck me in. It has some absolutely beautiful shots where the famous tracking scene as they go through the restaurant and, and sit in the front of the stage, as well as just... Something about you can actually really see how the gangster lifestyle sucks people in and how they just get deeper and deeper into it. And the kind of like violence and dread that's associated with it is just he's just got such an excellent grasp of all of that. And I think it's still his best his best example of of that type of film that he's been he managed to make and maybe ever have been made. Yeah, I yeah. You know, I don't have any Scorsese on my list. I'm skimming through it right now and I don't think I do. Yeah. So no. Yeah. How about that? So my number 24 then is the last film from this series of movies that are in my list. It is still for me the best Bond film. Mm. 
ever made. And that is from Russia with Love. It's not Goldfinger when the formula gets kind of crystallized. Right. But it's got, I think, one of the best villains with Red Grant, played by Robert Shaw. Connery, for me, at the height of his powers, just it's just classic kind of Cold War mystery thriller before things started to get outsized and big and crazy. And uh, From Russia With Love is just a lean, mean spy thriller, and I love Connery in it. So, yeah, that's my 24, and that's my last Bond film. Oh, wow. Okay. All right, so my number 23 is a film that will, I if it doesn't make Chris's top 10, I'll be surprised. It's a film that I expected to be Fast and the Furious light, and it was uh, Drive, starring Ryan Gosling. A film which was absolutely not what I expected. The When the ultraviolence hits, I was also not expecting that. It is mm-hmm. a beautiful, quiet uh, piece of, like, noir, crime noir that is just... Uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just so good. Yeah, there's a reason why I'm not allowed to talk about that film on the show anymore. So yeah, <laughs> but you're going to talk about it for this, I would assume. Ah, uh, yes, it, it maybe make. Yeah, it'll be maybe making an appearance at some point. Yeah, my number twenty three then is probably the last. I'm looking at my list right now. Not quite, but close to being the last really good time feeling film. It's a movie I watch every year. I cry. Every time I've watched it. And I've watched it, Matt, probably for the last 20 years. Because I didn't find it until my early 20s, which is a crazy thing to say because it's a classic movie. Mm. But every time Christmas rolls around, I pop in It's a Wonderful Life. It's two plus hours, but I am riveted by it. It is a wonderful film. Jimmy Stewart is just chef's kiss beautiful in this film it's such a great performance but that one scene when they have little jimmy stewart and he's talking to a little um um i'm blanking on her name now jesus christ it's not deborah kerr anyway it's with the two kids and she leans over and says is this your bad year and she says i'll love you for the rest of my life and i just i cry every time i watch that scene <laughs> so uh, it's a wonderful life is my 23 it's beautiful it's one of the few films, there's a few films on my list. This is one of them that just fills me with joy and hope. So there you go. Wow. And you're so dead inside most of the time. So it's weird, right? Yeah, yeah. It, is, it is. All right. So my number 22 is, is my cheat. I'm going to have to choose all of them because you can't take them apart. You have to watch them in succession in short order. And I'm talking about Peter Jackson's magnum opus of Lord of the Rings, a film series that I watch at least once a year, because I am a huge freaking nerd. I have bought every version of this that has come out. I have bought the extended DVDs. I bought the Blu-rays. Of course, I bought the 4Ks when they came out. And, you know, when they come out with an 8K and a 12K, I probably will end up buying those as well, because <laughs> these are just, I think, the pinnacle of adaption of what something can take a book series that is so dense and has so much lore and somehow translated successfully to screen and even the changes they make you know you're okay with them and i just think it's just uh it's just a fantastic piece of epic filmmaking that i don't know if we'll ever see anything quite like it again there you go yeah i've got to rewatch those too i watched the first one when the uhd came out but i have not watched the other two yet mm. maybe when i finish my godfather run we'll see so then my number 22 then now we're really getting into perfect film territory. Okay. And that is Ridley Scott's Alien Singular, mm-hmm. the original film. Another film I watch every year. I'll watch it a couple times when I pop it in. 
uh, for like over a week or two, I'll watch it probably two, three, four times. It, it is such a beautiful piece of filmmaking, classic horror, science fiction, and it, why it works so well. It's because they're everyday people, right? They're they're miners, mm-hmm. they're space miners. They're just trying to get by, make a paycheck, and then this this monster is introduced to their closed environment. Uh, all because of the greed of the corporation. But it's not just a social political commentary. It is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And uh, brilliantly shot. One of my favorite film scores of all time. We get Sigourney Weaver's Ripley, an iconic character. It's just, it's a perfect film. Alien is my 22. I can't argue with that. It's a great film. All right. So my number 21 in the head of this list then for today is this is not my favorite film by Quentin Tarantino, but it has two of my favorite scenes in, of maybe in all of cinema, and that's in Inglorious Bastards. The opening scene where Hans Landa interrogates the mm. the uh, dairy farmer who's hiding uh, his uh, Jewish neighbors is just, it starts off, you know, as this kind of friendly, are they going to get away with it? What's going to happen? And it just ratchets up the tension just slowly, slowly, slowly. And the way that he shoots that, almost topped by the scene in the bar um, where the uh, British SS agents are trying to, or, or what is it, British, what's what's their secret service? Uh, what's their? Yeah, it's MI5 or MI6, depending on where they're working, yeah, I don't, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember what it was in yeah. World War II. Anyway, the, when, they're, when Michael Fassbender is trying to infiltrate that Nazi bar, and he makes that critical mistake, and you don't know what it is, like, it's, mm-hmm. God, it's so good. It is, as a, as a whole, that film does have its flaws, and I don't think as a whole it's his best film, but man, those scenes are just some of the best cinema I've ever seen. Yeah, no, they are great. Didn't make my list. Really? It was on it at one point, but Inglorious Bastards is not on my list. Wow, I'm surprised. Well, considering this film is my 21, I mean, you, you got to make some cuts. So my number 21, then, is Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. Mm. Jamie Stewart, Grace Kelly, a great villainous turn by Raymond Burr from across the way. Uh, Jamie Stewart is a uh, professional photographer. He breaks his leg. He's confined to a wheelchair in his apartment in Greenwich. So he just starts looking out his window. And there's an apartment building across the uh, courtyard, and he notices something weird happening with um, this one couple, and he is convinced that his neighbor has killed his wife. And it is just one of Hitchcock's most beloved films. It is a lot of fun as the mystery plays out. The The relationship between Grace Kelly and Jimmy Stewart is iconic. Uh, and it is just a lot of fun. It's a great film if you haven't seen it. It's probably is a perfect film as well. Just great, great stuff. Beautiful shot selections. Really interesting stuff. Use of darkness and light in this film by Hitchcock. And then one of my favorite ways he gets his little cameo in, how he's able to do it, because the whole film basically takes place in this apartment. So great stuff. Rear Window is my 21 to close out the uh, list for today. Wow. I'm so really excited go. to hear what the top 20 is. Yeah, it's yeah i mean we're getting you could probably matt right now name my top 10 you might not get them in order but I, you could probably count off my top 10. Well, that's what happens when we've known each other for long and and uh done a movie podcast for 10 years so that's true so next week will be uh films 20 through 11 what is your favorite movies how have you been enjoying our countdown shoot us an email at feedback at the first run.com Next week, Matt, will be discussing Ty West's latest film, X, 
which I am eager to see, though I had a horrible experience with him as a person years ago, which I will never forgive him for, but that's just my own personal stuff. Maybe I'll tell that story next week. Who knows? And then we're supposed to be discussing uh, Deep Water, the Ben Affleck, Ana de Armas film that is supposed to be just this risque, scandalous film <laughs> that is, uh, I believe, going to be on Hulu. I also still want to see, oh, what's the one with McConaughey and Hathaway? That is supposed to be just horrible, like another sex uh, thriller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember which. Yes, yes. I remember what you're talking about. I forget what that's maybe, called. Yeah, maybe I'll try and squeeze that in too, just for the hell of it. I think that's on Prime because it's supposed to be dreadful, but like in a good way. Yeah. Either way, I want to see. Um, uh, also, there's a, a Sundance film that just got picked up by Hulu Fresh um, with Sebastian mm-hmm. Stan in it. I hear it's okay. I'd like to check that out as well at some point if we have time. Absolutely. Well, we have some flexibility. We're supposed to do for second films, Coda and then The Bubble, because uh, trying to wrap up some um, Oscar contenders. Yeah, well, Coda at least. The Bubble is that Netflix one, which is a, supposed to be a uh, satire, I think, of the big adventure movies mm-hmm. or something. So it's Judd Apatow's latest film. Gotcha. So we can look at all that. We're flexible. Um, in the meantime, check us out on YouTube, Twitter, first run, first run, uh, Twitter, <laughs> YouTube, Facebook, <laughs> Instagram, Twitter. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you'll find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. And all your podcast app, Good Pods, tune in wherever and help other people find the show. And that's it, Matt. So uh, we're going to go ahead and take an extended break. Take care of yourselves. We love you very much. And we will see you soon. Drop it! Better alive, you are coming with me.